0: Grateful that folks do that and don't allow other things to pull them away. Uh, Cody, birthday today. So happy birthday to Cody. Brings his family to church on his birthday, you know. Appreciate that. Uh, your family's been a blessing to us. And, and uh, for those that are, are serving, we appreciate you. John chapter 16. I approach this Christian life and this pulpit with two bedrock truths. beliefs, and that is that there is a God, and he loves you, and there is a devil, and he wants to destroy you. The Bible's clear about those two things. I think it's obvious in scripture, many verses speak to this end, that Satan is out to destroy us. This morning, if I were the devil, and I would, uh, as the Bible makes clear, want to destroy the human race One of the things I would do is pick the key nation in the world, especially if it calls itself a Christian nation, and work to destroy that one remaining godly nation. If I were the devil this morning, I would want to destroy America and what she stands for. Now, understand that to do this, I would not attack from without. No, no, that has not worked so well in the past. I think of Pearl Harbor when our nation responded quickly and rallied uh, fast to that uh, disaster. uh, His name Issa Roko Yamamoto, I think his name was, spoke prophetically when he said, I fear all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant. No, an attack from outside did not work so well. I think of 9-11 when uh, that attack came in New York City. It served to strengthen the resolve and really brought the effectual end of Al-Qaeda. Now, if I really wanted to destroy a nation, I would do it from the inside. Uh, I would create within it factions that war against one another. Because you see, a nation is like a church. It only is destroyed from the inside. A church you attack from the outside like they did in the New Testament, it grows by leaps and bounds. But attacked from the inside, it can cause great destruction. I would foster hatred between different groups of people within this nation. A nation like a church needs unity to survive. So I would do all I could to destroy that unity. I would promote the idea of two Americas identity politics, and victimhood. And then as the seeds of hatred blossomed into full-blown carnage, I'd sit back and smile. We'll look at a verse today, John 16, 33. I think in what's going on in this day and age, we probably see the truth of this verse very clearly. These things the Bible says, I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But, Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I want to talk to you today for a few minutes on a biblical response to present turmoil. A biblical response to present turmoil. Father, I pray that you'd help me this morning. You know I've thought long and prayed long and agonized over this message today. I don't want to say anything to hurt or offend anyone. I want to only help and lift up and promote your son. I pray you'd help that to happen throughout the rest of this message. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Occasionally I'll preach a message that makes me a little apprehensive, and I have to be honest, this is one of those days. Uh, The things I want to talk about today, I'm not just spouting off. I've approached this with much thought and prayer. Now, uh, Thursday, my wife and I celebrated 26 years of marriage. I'm I'm excited because I've heard that once you reach the 26th year, that you have a good chance of making it. Amen? So I I think that we've approached that benchmark now. It's an exciting thing. I'm grateful for the uh, wife God's given me. But she has on occasion, told me, not often, but she's told me that I've been wrong before, and so it's possible, it is possible, not notice I said possible, not probable, but it's possible that I might say some things today uh, that you might disagree with. But I do represent a book, and this book is true. Now, what I say, what my opinion is, it, it is just, that's all it's worth. But this book right here is the truth. So if I say something today that, you disagree with, would you just forgive me and listen to what the book says and we'll go with that, amen? Because that, every word in the covers, within the covers of the book is God-breathed, inspired, and it's not wrong. Well, you know, preacher, I know that's what the Bible says, but it just rubs me the wrong way. I like what Billy Sunday said, if it rubs the cat the wrong way, turn the cat around, amen? Sometimes that's the thing we need to do. My heart's been heavy as I've seen the headlines of the past few weeks. I know that uh, since Jesus ascended into heaven, folks have been claiming last days are upon us. But I can't help with what we're seeing today, thinking of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, this know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. I believe we're in the middle of some perilous times. 2020 has been an almost apocalyptic year for us. We've endured a pandemic, uh, or you could say an alleged pandemic. It just depends where you sit on it. You've got all kinds of information coming out now that says that the shutdown was unnecessary and some claim it should still be in place. You know, you just uh, hear different things if you watch the news. You have people avidly claiming we must wear masks when in public. You have just as fervent an argument that they are not necessary and then others Uh, talk about how dangerous they are to wear in the first place. It's hard to know what to believe uh, and discern what's true. Our economy is at at depression levels in some areas. Uncertainty abounds. 36.5 million Americans lost their jobs in just two months. Some experts warn that unemployment might even peak above Great Depression levels of 1933. And then if that were not enough, May 25th, George Floyd, a 46-year-old man, died after an officer uh, put his knee on him, pinning him to the pavement until he passed away. Floyd was a black man. The officer was a white man. This sparked an outrage, and it resulted in some of the things that you've seen on your television for the past two weeks. It has essentially turned Minneapolis and some other cities into a war zone. Looting, destruction, crime, along with, of course, a lot of peaceful protesting too. It has uh, become evident, I believe, that this is not simply about George Floyd. The incident has created an outlet for pent-up frustration, uh, pent-up hatred, Uh, pent up anger that people have been feeling in their hearts for perhaps a long time. I think it's safe for us to say today that we are facing in our nation, we're a nation in crisis. And I can assure you that as the leading Christian nation, Satan loves this, loves every minute of it. If he can create uh, a, a rift between you and members of your family, he loves it. If he can fill you with hatred, he loves it. Let me, today, uh, I kind of want to try to answer the question because we, we look at all that's going on, and, we, and I've heard the question, what, what are we to do? What's a person to do? A better question for us today is what's the child of God's response to all this? What is the child of God to do? And I can tell you, I don't know everything about this situation. I don't think anybody does. And I certainly don't have all the answers. Quite frankly, I did not want to preach this message. It's not an easy message to preach. I feel woefully inadequate to do so. But I have been encouraged by some of our church members, and, and, uh, to, and I'll do the best that I can to try to clarify some of the things that the Word of God has to say about situations we're going through. I believe that at times, the world is screaming for answers. And the church is quiet. I don't want to be quiet. It's easier to be quiet than it is to speak out. It's more dangerous to speak out because silence does not offend like words do. My desire is not to offend, but I want to be able to give an answer because we need to answer cultural questions with the Word of God. We need to insert the Bible into our culture. We are absolutely, when it comes to salvation, man, we are black and white. It is what it is. Salvation, we've got down. But when it comes to cultural issues, we're Mr. General Statement. And it's okay for us to insert the Bible into everyday goings-on. I I do want to just make a mention, he can't be here with us today, but uh, I want to just thank uh, Police Chief Bill Bolt, encouraged me much in the preparation of this message And uh, we may be able to get a lot of input from him. The media, the protesters, and various movements have labeled this a race problem. Now, this has been a go-to for many people when they view a myriad of problems. My contention today is that we are not looking at a race problem. We are looking at a sin problem. Now, I take issue with the labeling of sin. And I want to explain this, so please listen as I do, because I believe many times when we label a sin, we end up effectively cheapening it. For example, you take the issue of a hate crime. uh, Depending on who you assault or who you murder, depending on who it is, it might be labeled a hate crime. And that supposedly somehow makes it worse. But the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Killing is sin and killing is wrong, no matter who's at the receiving end of it. Amen. When we label bad actions into a category such as racism, it does several things. Number one, it absolves the person doing the labeling. Now, what happened to George Floyd was, among other things, an abuse of power. We, If you saw the video, it's... Absolutely heartrending to see what happened. You get angry, your heart rate increases. It's a terrible thing to see what happened to that man. Many see the abuse and they explain it. It's because the police officer was racist. Now, let me interject here because I want to be absolutely clear on this. Racism is a wicked, wicked sin. Uh, the Bible makes this clear Romans chapter 2, verse 11 For there is no respect of persons. With God, John seven twenty four. Judge not according to his appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Romans ten twelve. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same God, uh, the same Lord is rich uh, unto all. Uh, is over all rich unto them that call on Him. James two nine. But if ye have respect toward persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. We could go through more verses than just that, but it's clear we are not to be a respecter of persons because of the national origin of a person or the color of their skin. God created everyone equal. And when it all comes down to it, we are only one race, and that is the human race. However, there is a problem, I believe, in being quick to label in this abuse of power that we saw in Minneapolis, when you label that as automatically being racist, then we come to the obvious conclusion that I do not have that problem because, after all, I'm not racist. I I hope you gather the, the point I'm trying to make. It's easier than trying to examine my own life and to see whether I may have some of those problems. Hey, do I ever abuse my power as a father? Do I abuse my power as a pastor? You could ask yourself these same questions. You see, if we only classify sin as being a problem with a certain group of people, which by design you're not a part of, that absolves you. See how that works? And we do it all the time. I'm not only using racism as an example. We do it all the time. This now makes me a better person than you because I am not part of the classification that you are that I put you in. See? Human beings are forever trying to separate themselves from the sin problem. The, uh, one of the ways we do that is to classify sin into a faction that I am not a part of. We play the blame game. The idea that when the law is broken, society is guilty. The notion that when I commit a crime, uh, it is excusable because of what somebody else did to me. We have lost in this country the principle of personal responsibility. This is not, it may be tolerable within a society, it is not tolerable before a holy God. The Bible says all have sinned in Romans chapter 3. And in 1 John 5, 17, the Bible says all unrighteousness is sin." In other words, wrong is wrong, no matter who condones it. Right is right, no matter who condemns it. All unrighteousness is sin. You cannot make yourself better by comparing your actions with the actions of others. In fact, the Bible addresses that in 2 Corinthians ten, twelve. They measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. When we label bad actions into a category, it can absolve the person doing the labeling. Second thing that happens when we categorize things, the real problem is not addressed. When when addressed only as a race issue, the real problem, which is worse, is never addressed. Again, the real problem is a sin problem. A man here has lost his life Because somebody in authority let that power go to his head. You have people in a position of authority who acted profoundly selfish. In this case, you have an officer who presumably was on some kind of power trip, it looked like, and decided he was going to make this man pay. Not only was it a lack of humility, a lack of empathy, a lack of respect for others, It's supreme selfish living. Really, you could apply it to both the victim and the officer. The victim initially broke the law. That is self-centered living. The officer decided he was going to make him pay. That is self-centered living. Our problem is pride and selfishness. And every single one of us have the problem. None of us are exempt. Most of us look at a scene like that. We say this would never be me. Now again, I'm telling you, it's a lot easier if we can classify the sin that would never be me. That's flawed thinking. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10:12, "Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall." We'd better realize, friends, we're one decision away from being the bad guy. We're one choice away from depravity. Really. We all have the potential for horrible wickedness. We had better understand and recognize the sin that dwells within us. Hey, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians since Jesus Christ walked the earth. You know what he said about himself? He said in John, uh, Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's different than most people you'll meet on the street today or knock on their door. Hey, do you think that if something happened to you today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? They say, yes, I believe I would because I'm a good person. The Apostle Paul was beaten for his faith. He spent time in prison. He started, some people estimate, over 60 churches. He did more for God than he wrote much of the New Testament. And he says, in me is no good thing. There's nothing good about me. How can anyone talk about the good that is in them? We must recognize in us the propensity for evil. If it were not for Christ, you could be either one of those guys on the video, on the ground, or on the neck. But since we are not, we often find it easy to get up on a soapbox. I want to say just a word about police officers. In Romans, you can turn to Romans chapter 13. The Bible says in verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, the responsibilities of a nation's leaders are both Godward and manward. Now, since Jesus said we are to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, Paul tells Caesar how he ought to act. Here in Romans 13. Since uh, or, or the Bible is very clear throughout the Bible that the Bible frowns on civil disobedience. God is on the side of constituted authority. Now human government derives its authority from God. Paul tells us that governments are appointed by God. Let every soul be subject to higher powers. Human government was initiated by God after the flood. He placed the responsibility of governing ourselves into man's hands. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, whoso sheddeth man's blood, but shall by man his blood be shed. This launched man into the road of self government. Now, like everything else entrusted to man, human government has not long after that failed. Uh, You give something into the hands of sinful man it tends to go awry. The sword of the magistrate became the sword of the conqueror. All you have to do is look at the Tower of Babel, and you can see how a man used his authority to organize a rebellion directly against God himself. But, despite the abuses, human government still is a divine institution. The Bible says the powers that are ordained of God, the word powers here means delegated authorities. The word for ordained ordain means appointed. Evil men with no thought of God may seize power. And then because they're evil, that we've seen it, they hire more evil people and replace themselves with more evil people. And the cycle just continues and continues. It does not mean that God's plan was flawed. It was just put in the hands of sinful men. Uh, this is also approved by God. Verse 2 here, if you're in Romans 13, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Disobedience to government authority is disobedience to God. Now, we know that sometimes governmental authority is abused. We just saw it on video. Sometimes that happens. This does not give us the right to now break the law ourselves looting rioting destroying of property two wrongs do not make a right never have never will such a philosophy leads to anarchy to riots and to the lawful or the breakdown of lawful societies it really leads to complete insanity this last week we saw more outrage because our president raised the Bible than we did of people burning down businesses, burning down homes, killing people in the name of riots. That's irrational. That's complete irrationality. That's what this thinking leads to. Okay, preacher, so civil authority was appointed and approved by God, but what what that police did was not right, and you're correct, it wasn't right. But can I make a statement that is vital for all of us to remember? You cannot and must not judge the majority based on the actions of the minority. That's exactly what racism is. You you, you start to color a whole group of people with one brush. And it's interesting to me that the exact thing that the rioters are upset with, they want to do to other people as well. It's all wrong. It's all sin. And it's a problem when we start labeling things and just forget to look in our own hearts and see the wickedness right there. So what's the solution? How do we respond? You say, yeah, you've said everything, and I know there's issues. I know there's problems. Number one, the solution is the gospel. Morality cannot be legislated. Uh, you may be able to legislate behavior. But as I've said often, uh, but by the way, you, you might be able to legislate behavior, but it's in the heart. The heart must be changed in order for the behavior change to be permanent and real. I've said many times before that sin is not a behavioral problem. Listen to me now because every religion teaches opposite of that. Sin is not a behavioral problem. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. That's very important for us to understand. You see, sin is a condition, not a behavior. It's the same to to, to, to be able to say, like many people errantly think, you know, if I'm just a good person, I'll go to heaven. If I live right, if I do right, if I do many good works, then one day when I die, I'll go to heaven. That's the same as saying, you know, I have stage four cancer, but if I'm really good, it'll, be, it'll go away. It won't. It's a condition. It's not a behavior. It's a condition. Your sin condition cannot be solved by a behavioral change. I, look, we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. I'm, all i got to do is turn on the news to see that. I wish it were different. I wish it weren't so. I wish there was some way to magically eliminate the ugliness of sin. My heart breaks for the people even that we've seen recently affected by those tragedies of the past few weeks. But I can promise you no ideology, no philosophy, no program, no person is going to change in society or this society. The only change The only way to bring lasting change is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing will ever change. Listen now. Nothing will ever change until we see the sin right here. We live in a society that sees the sin everywhere else, but not here. The purpose of identity politics is to point to another for my problems. The purpose of the gospel is to point to me as the problem. I believe one of the greatest tools that Satan has used so effectively in our day is the sin of victimhood. My sins are not my fault. I do what I do because of what was done to me. If Satan can get you to absolve yourself of your sin, you have no need of Christ, and that's exactly where he wants you. Salvation itself depends on us coming to the conclusion that I must answer for my sin. Romans fourteen twelve. so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Not a group. Nobody can stand with you. You will one day stand before God yourself and you'll have to look him in the eye and answer for your life. Matthew twelve thirty six. but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall text, I'm sorry, speak, I believe texting's included, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Can you imagine that, friend? Every single word you've ever said. One day you'll stand before God, you alone. And you'll have to answer to God. You're, the question will not be how much wrong was done to you. The question will not be how much good did you do. I remind you again, sin is not a behavioral problem. So therefore you cannot change, uh, the, solve the sin problem with a change of your behavior doesn't matter how good much good you have done. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, the Bible says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Listen, compared to the holiness of God this morning, we're all wicked sinners. Because of our sin, we cannot have entrance into God's heaven. We cannot do enough good works. The Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5, and not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. God is just. He is holy. Therefore, our sins must be paid for or we cannot enter into His heaven. And we've just established we can't pay for our own sins. We can't do enough good works because even our good works are like filthy rags to God. There's nothing we can do to solve our sin problem. If we can't pay for it, if our good works can't save us, what then is the answer? The answer is Calvary. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The gospel is the answer, my friend, for your sin. The gospel is the answer for the sin of our nation. Praise the Lord. We are responsible for, the, the gospel has to be carried to everyone, and we're responsible for carrying it. Matthew twenty eight nineteen 19, Go the, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things worth I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. I'm afraid for Christians today, there's more meme sharing than gospel giving. And that's a sad thing. We ought to be about our father's business. Hey, your political views and my political views are not as important as sharing the heart-changing news of the gospel. Hey, what about that person who's bitter about society's ills? Share the good news of the gospel with them and let them know this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. What about the police officer now in danger and despised? They need the gospel too, amen. There's bad ones just like there's bad ones in any group of people. Our own police officer, this has been heavy on his heart, and one of the statements he made to me every morning I get up and pray, Lord, help me not hurt someone today. There's still thousands of men in that thankless job who do the right thing, and we ought to be grateful. Another thought that was raised by Chief as we were talking is the problem of indifference. Now, in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion, I don't think Officer Chauvin intended to kill Mr. Floyd. But we all saw with our own eyes the incredible indifference that he expressed while he was hearing cries for help. It's painful, it's heartrending to see that video. I can't breathe. He didn't respond. Indifference is rampant in our society today. That may be the worst thing of all. Abraham Heschel said indifference to evil is more sinister than evil itself. It is a silent justification affording evil acceptability in society. Indifference. In the early hours of March 13th, 1964, 28-year-old Kitty Genovese was stabbed outside an apartment building in New York City. Two weeks after the murder, New York Times published an article claiming that 38 witnesses saw the attack, and they did nothing to stop it. None of them called the police. None of them came to her aid. This became known as the bystander effect, or the Genovese syndrome. Upon being interviewed, some of the people said, it's not that I didn't care, I just thought that someone else would step in. How sad. When we are filled with apathy to the cries of others. Oh, every single one of us, friend, live in some form of indifference. All around us, we have people who are desperately crying out for answers. We have the Word of God that has those answers. Let's not be indifferent to their cries. Let's not be filled with apathy. Instead of offering the truth of the gospel, how many times, hey, I know what you need to do, preacher. We need to all get on Facebook and Twitter. And that'll show them. Pretty sure that's going on right now. Equally sure it's not doing much good. Amen? Everyone wants a voice. Social media has no prerequisites. I'll give you one. We often discover that in a sea of opinions, we find ourselves drowning in foolishness. Well, Listen, friend, in the midst of political turmoil, Instead of getting down in the gutter and arguing and debating with people, let's lift them out of the gutter with the truth of the gospel. Like David said in Psalm 40, verse 2, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock and established my going. Yeah, preacher, but they won't listen to me. Are they listening to your Facebook and Twitter posts? Probably not. Offer them something better. Amen? Need to refocus. Because a lot of us live, can I, can I tell you something that's not part of the message? But you know what, what uh, in the Old Testament, you had, you had uh, Abraham, you had Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Abraham, what, uh, what, remember, he was a wealthy man. What did he live in? A tent. The Bible calls him, Hebrews 11, a sojourner. And I think of him writing out his will to Isaac, being of sound mind, I leave you a tent. That's what Isaac lived in, too, a tent. They were just sojourners. You know what Lot's problem was? He left his tent. Got into a house. We live as Christians sometimes like this is our final home. It's not. If you're a saved child of God today, one day we're pulling out of here. It could be soon. Let's not live like this is our eternal home. Amen. Uh, Secondly, our dependence had better be in the Lord. Can I tell you today, deliverance will not come on Air Force One. If you're depending on a political party to solve your problems, you will be sorely, sorely disappointed. I heard a story of a government employee. And he took a walk on his lunch break on a nice day, and he finds an old brass lamp and rubs the lamp. And you know, of course, what happens when you rub a lamp. A genie popped out and offered him three wishes. So the government employee said, I... Wish that I was on an island where I could have total peace and solitude. And poof, he was on an island. Breeze, perfect weather, ocean quietly lapping at the shore. Thought, wow. Next, the government employee said, I wish I had a mansion and servants here that would meet my every need. And poof, it happened. He was still on the island, and behind him was a mansion and servant help scurrying about. Thought, wow. Genius says, You have one more wish. The government employee said, I wish I'd never have to do a day's work again. And poof, he was back in his government office. Hey, they don't really do anything for us at the end of the day. That's not where our hope is, amen? Ultimately today, the answer to our problems is not Black Lives Matter or the thin blue line or the NAACP or police unions or President Trump. That's not where our answer lies. The message that far surpasses all those is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it the hope of glory. Listen, the choice today is really, are you going to live your life all stressed out and worried about what's going on? That's kind of what we are faced with today. Worry. Stress. Worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it will never get you anywhere. But if you want to, there's plenty to worry about. Uh, What will tomorrow bring? Will I or somebody I know test positive for coronavirus? Will we have a second Great Depression? Is my family safe? There's lots to worry about if you want to worry. We all have questions that can lead to worry if we allow it to. Somebody else said worries are like babies. The more you nurse them, the more they grow. And the headlines don't help. Uh, These are some I pulled off yesterday. Coronavirus cases climbing again in the south. Protests spark bigger outbreaks. Food shortages worldwide. Highest unemployment in decades. Can I make a suggestion to you? Stop watching the news. Start reading the good news, amen? That'll help you. It'll help you. I have to ask myself once in a while, what, what good does it do me to watch the news anyway? I've never yet in my life, gotten a call, hey, I hope you watch the news because we need some information from you. Doesn't do us any good except lead to a bunch of stress. Can I give you a verse of the Bible and I'll close with this. Hebrews 13, 5. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, this verse is unique because it contains, in its original language, five negatives. Uh, not only the words, but in the original Greek, there are, uh, there's, there's um, I don't even remember what they're called, but they're just notations. They're called emphatic negation. And, and they are all over this verse. I pulled it up in, the, in my Greek lexicon, and there there's several of them in this verse. Charles Spurgeon said this, Uh, about this text, it is hardly possible in English to give the full weight of the Greek. We might render it thus. He has said, I will never, never leave thee. I will never, never, never forsake thee. The negatives, or two negatives, nullify each other in our language, but here in the Greek, they intensify the meaning. We sing a song in our hymnal, How Firm a Foundation, that captures this idea. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not... I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Hey, he'll never, we serve a God that'll never forsake us. Isn't that an amazing thing? God promises to be with you no matter how much uncertainty you live in the midst of. This is true today. It will be true tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the day after that. He'll never forsake you. You cannot outlive God's mercy. We come and go, but the Bible says His mercy endureth forever. Yes, there's uncertainty in the world we live in. Jesus said it in our text verse, John 16, In the world you shall have tribulation, but I love the second part, but be of good cheer, He said, I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Never let your uncertainties shake your faith in God. With all that we've discussed today, I can unequivocally tell you, I wouldn't want to live a day without being a Christian. I wouldn't want to live a day without knowing my eternal destiny. Can you imagine living in this day and age without any hope of anything better? In fact, I tell you, if I wasn't saved today, I think I'd go ahead and get saved. I think that's what I do, I think that's the first thing on my agenda. If you're here today, friend, and you don't know for sure, you're just, maybe maybe you hope, maybe you think, but you don't know for sure that if you went out on 22nd today and got run over by a truck and were in eternity like that, where would you be if you don't know that for sure? Don't walk out these doors without settling it. The Bible is very clear. We don't want to walk this path alone. Amen? We want that one who has promised us he'll never, never, never forsake us. No, never forsake us. What a verse that is. The biblical answer to present turmoil. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.